All right, so let's crack open the word. Why don't you turn to Ephesians? And everybody say good morning to Shannon. Did we do that already? All right. Morning. Good morning. Shannon, how long have we been married? 21 years. 21 years. We've actually been married 22. She no, forgot we have one not. of them. No, no, that's not true. Yeah, 21 years. How many kids do we have? Five. <coughs> Five kiddos. Everybody should be going. <gasps> <laughs> and still married. And so we, we have enjoyed <coughs> we've enjoyed these years and we kind of we want to camp out on this conversation because we don't feel like what's happening in society and an accurate understanding of what's happening in society today is that marriage and relationships are just struggling a little bit and what you need from people who feel like they're called to invest, is to us come alongside you, put our arm around you and say, hey, just keep up the good work. Just do better. It's going to be all right. I don't, we, we're not at that spot in society and in our world today. In America, marriage as an institution and marriage as a reality is bleeding out. We are in the ER with open wounds bleeding out. Personally, we, we meet with couples all the time. Individually, we have conversations all the time, um, and, and that's been for years now. And then as a, as a society, you guys see what's going on in the news. You see what's happening legally and politically, and, and what's happening. And, and it's not any different in the church. The divorce rate and dysfunctional rate inside the church is the same as it is out in the world. And so that picture isn't to give us any kind of feeling of defeatism, but it is to say we want to accurately understand what is our challenge today. And our challenge today really has everything to do with me being part of the solution. What do I do to be part of the solution? And so let me introduce a little bit of what the scriptures has to say there. And Ephesians um, chapter 5 is sort of the, the chapter we want to camp out at. And so if you want to know where in the Bible can I go to get a good introduction to what God has to say about relationships, men you absolutely should pay attention to this because as a guy representing all of us, we're pretty bad at all of this, okay? It just doesn't come natural. We want to shoot, kill, and blow up, right? Amen? How many, I mean, seriously, it's like, if, if I don't go see it, why don't we like chick flicks? Because nobody gets shot, man. No, nothing blows up. So if right in the middle of the two-hour chick flick something would explode, I'd be okay with it, right? But, but it's just about my feelings for two hours, right? And so I have a hard time with it. But, but not because I don't want to have feelings, but because what I really, I'm, I'm wired to beat and kill and win, right? And go fight and win. And so that's great, but it means a lot of the relationship stuff that Ephesians is going to talk about, I'm not naturally great at. And so you should be taking notes and understanding that you, you're not great at this, and I'm not great at it, and we're just going to really pay attention. So Ephesians chapter 5 says this, it says in 20, verse 21 specifically, it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we want to we struggle with this scripture today a little bit, because this is really the catch-all when it comes to how, how does this represent Christ in the world? How do I bring in, how does my, my, aunt, my uh, marriage become an answer to society? And, and this scripture has, has a lot to do with it. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's another version in the message that says, out of respect for Christ, be courteous 
be courteously reverent to one another. But my favorite is out of the Amplified. And it says, be subject to one another out of reverence to Christ. When we, get, we met each other, the way that I landed her as my wife, and, and she was the catch on my college campus, and so all the other guys are still wondering what they did wrong. And so This is not true. It is true. No, it's not true. It is true. We're lying. And so, so when we got together and we got married, uh, I didn't go up to her and say, hey, the Amplified Bible in Ephesians 5.21 says, sweetheart, you need to be subject to me. And she was like, ooh, your pillow talk is like crazy awesome, <laughs> right? That didn't happen, right? It wasn't like, that wasn't, that wasn't the line. It wasn't be subject to me out of reverence for Christ. It was, though, that we were already alone in the, pro- we're going we're to expound on this. We were alone processing what it really meant to have reverence for Christ. Yeah. And then upon that foundation, we were able to at least conceptually say, Submitting myself or subjecting myself for the sake of your good to you as, as the picture of how this works in a relationship is possible. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit for you. Genesis is important for you to know biblically. So, if, so I didn't put that up on the screen, but Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 is, is, is what you need to write in your notes as introduction to say this. God created, right in the beginning, God was in the, in the creation mode. He created man and woman. He created them. Everybody say them. them. And then he blessed them. And so God in the creation saw man and woman building a house together, building a fam to get family, building this couple, building this relationship as the fundamental building blocks for all of society. It was the first and the premier institution that God ordained from day one. Day two, what do you think started to happen? Any of you read Genesis? Cain and Abel came into the picture. Somebody got mad at somebody. Somebody killed one another. Shame came in because they, they, they committed sin. I think Eve started that, but anyway. They committed some sin. It was the kids' fault. It was the kids' fault. Yes. Blame it on the kids. Um, and so sin comes in. Jealousy comes in. Rage comes in. Anger comes in. Death comes in. And it comes in. Through that comes into the earth through the doorway of the family, through the doorway of the marriage, through the doorway of mistrust all of a sudden being introduced through the marriage relationship, deception being introduced through the marriage relationship. And that should be proof that this is the, this is the thing that the enemy fears the most. In our world today, we don't need different government. In our world today, we don't need different entertainment. We need different marriages. We need men to be different men, women to be different women, and homes to be different homes. And if we'll, if we'll go back to Genesis and we'll say, this is what God ordained, and it's going to be hard, and it's a lot of work, but we're going to shut the door the best we can to the enemy, and we're going to understand that this is what God blessed, and we're going to accept that blessing and try to walk in it, then we restore society back to where it's got some feet under it again. And, we don't, and then the government changes, and then the school systems change. And then prayer's not in school today. I'm just going to preach for a second. Prayer's not in school today because a mom and a dad wouldn't stand in front of the enemy and stop it. Not because government got in the way. A school board made up of elected moms and dads allowed that to happen. A court system by, uh, by elected officials allowed it to happen. Not, the gov- not some mystical government out there that's out to kill us. No, a mom 
a dad, a group of moms and dads got together and said, well, we think it would be better if our kids go to hell in a handbasket. So we're not going to pray in school anymore. That's awesome. And we all sit around and go, thanks. Because you screwed up our school system now for you know, the last 30 years. But thanks, you did great. But when, when we have that struggle in, in digesting what's wrong with the world, all we need to do is walk into our bathrooms, turn on the light, and look in the mirror. Because you and I are the problem, and you and I are the answer. God wants to flow with His Spirit through you and through us to be an answer. The woman was provided in Genesis as an answer. The woman was provided as a solution. And when God blessed them as one, and that's what, what we want to walk in. And so we're, we're going we're gonna to unpack several points in there. You can get out your little bulletin with your blanks, and you can follow along, and, and we're going to jump on to number one. Yeah, so um, number one, the real story. The real story is actually not the story of marriage. The real story that's playing out is an eternal story that has started before time began and arced over all of history, and we find ourselves in it in this present day. The real story is actually God's story. In fact, this word from beginning to end is God's story. And I, separately than Billy, am just a character in God's story. And separate from me, Billy is a character in God's story. And it's important to note that I am a character in God's story. He's not a character in my story, okay? You got to get that, that right. And as a character in God's story, and the theme of that story is a holy God's passionate pursuit of people that he loves, and we are the people that he loves. And as a character in his story, he asked some things of me. He asked me to submit my very strong will to his will. He asked me to engage with him uh, on a daily basis. He asked me to uh, be filled with his spirit, to read his word, to learn his instruction. And then he asked me to do something with all of that. You know that the word says, your faith without your deeds is dead, right? He asked me to do something with it. And that's where my marriage comes into the bigger story, the eternal story. My marriage is the place where me and Billy come together to mutually encourage one another in our faith so that together we are stronger against the enemy. Together we are able to walk out better God's mission on our life. Turn, if you will, to Matthew 22. And I'm going to read this to you uh, first out of the Message Bible. I uh, grew up as a pastor's kid. This is a very familiar verse to me. And I find that sometimes if I read things out of a different version, it hits my heart in a different way. So this is Matthew 22. I'm going to read it to you a couple of times. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your passion and your prayer and your intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any priority list. But there is a second to set alongside it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs, and everything in God's law and prophet hangs on them. 
we know, we're taught uh, in Sunday school that this is uh, very, very important, that Jesus said you can sum up the whole law of God in two sentences, to love God and to love others. Let me read it to you one more time. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your passion to be consecrated to him. To love the Lord your God with all of your prayer. To love him with your intense requests for help. To love him with your worship. To love him with your very deep gratitude. To love him with your invocation, your intercession, your dedication. And to love him with your intelligence. To understand that everything you learned before Christ is wrong. And that now you're going to renew your mind through God's word. And then, love Billy and care for Billy in the same way that you love and care for yourself. You know, when I was in Sunday school and we talk about priorities, I was little, I grew up Southern Baptist, and the teacher would teach that your priorities should uh, go along with the word joy. Did any of you know this? Yeah, so your priorities were supposed to be, don't write this down, Jesus, others, and then yourself. And as an introvert, that actually makes me break out in hives. I think that is not a recipe to be jolly. That is a recipe to be burned out and have a psychotic episode. Uh, in the church, though, we do like to make priority lists, and, and sometimes our lists look like this. You can put that slide up. It's number one, we say God. Number two, family. Number three, friends. Number four, work. Number five, possessions. But according to Matthew 22, there is such a distinction there in the language between the intense pursuit that I should have for God and how I should love everybody else. It really looks more like this. God is number one in my intense pursuit. And then down a lot of ways down is how I love everybody else in the same manner that I love myself. And that's not to diminish caring for your spouse, and it's not to diminish marriage in any way, shape, or form. But it is to say that we sit down with many, many couples who are trying to get this right, who are not spending any time getting this right, and, and it's, just, uh, it's just not likely to work out well for them. It's exhausting. Exhausting. And... And one of the things that we, we don't get to show people is what that fight really looks like. And most people um, don't see it, not even our own children and who live in our home. And they won't understand it until, until they get older. But, but there's times where we don't give our children our best. Moms and dads, especially you, all you mops moms and all you guys who got multiple kids, all you guys who are trying to make a resurgence towards going to church and bringing your kids Hear what I just said. There's times where we do not give our children our best. My children actually don't get my best. There's times where I don't give my spouse my best. There's, there's times where I don't have enough bandwidth to give everybody everything they need. And in families, it's one of the mo- what she just shared is one of the most practically damaging things. When you get your priorities practically wrong, and then days pass, and weeks pass, and months pass, and they turn into a decade, and you got these 13-year-old kids who aren't doing what you want them to do, plus you're exhausted, and you have forgotten how to connect with God now. 
You have forgotten what it means to come home in the afternoon, dads, and leave work at work and really connect with, your ki- connect with God. Because what you've done is, I've got to leave, leave work, connect with my wife, connect with my kids, connect with the chores, connect with running around. Well, what about connecting with the holy God who even gave you that family? And it's not about devotional times in the morning. It's not just about, you know, long extended prayer times, uh, you know, once in a while. It is about a regular hunger and, and appetite of having God first, God alone. Sometimes your children, your spouse, your, your workers, your church members, your friends, they won't even understand. They won't even know that that's going on. Because you are, if, if you follow the reason that we're throwing out there, then you will change your focus and you will focus the fight in the right area. So number two in our, in our sermon outline is the real fight. The real fight is actually not in the physical world. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 talks about how our struggle is not against flesh and blood. If you go back to Genesis, when, when the woman was created out of man, man looked at woman and said, hey, this is bone of my bone, this is flesh of my flesh. And he recognized that we are one. We are one and the same under God's image. Here in Ephesians, Paul's making a point to educate in, in chapter 5 about how human relationships should go, including marriage and including family. And then in verse 6, he talks about war. He talks about this struggle. He talks about this armor of God. And, he, and you and I have to understand, God is not making a mistake in Ephesians chapter 6. He's actually, through Paul, giving us the theology and the prescription for how the church actually wins. Do you want to win, church? Do you want to win in your family? Do you want to win in your marriage? Do you want to win in your parenting? How many of you want less than thriving for your children? You just want kind of mediocre, a crummy life for your kid. That's your hope. No. You want thriving for your children. Well, God has given you the secret in in chapter 6 of Ephesians on how to attain thriving. And that is fight the right fight. Understand that your war is not against your spouse. Get out of the habit of understanding, perceiving, and being really good at making a list of all the things your spouse does badly. Get out of the habit of being an expert on their sin, on their shortcomings, on their weaknesses. Men, it is not impressive if you notice the bad things about your wife. You're not a genius. Okay? And if you think think that you're impressed with yourself, walk into the bathroom, turn on the light, and look in the mirror. Because your list will outdo her list. I know you still think you got abs like in high school and your hair is all good and everything, but the truth is, it ain't. That guy is dead. He's gone. He ate too many cheeseburgers. <laughs> He's got too many years on him now, right? So be a stud in the spiritual realm. Be a stud in your character. Be a stud in how you love her, not a stud in how you feel about yourself because you look in the mirror and see the stud. You've got to redefine the fight. You've got to redefine the battleground. And so, so the scripture here defines it as a spiritual battle. And there's, there's some parts to that that I want to I point out and before I move on. And that's, and that's a hard turn away from attacking where you see weakness. A hard turn away from your spouse being the source of your arguing. It's a hard turn towards saying, I'm not sure what the answer is here. But I realize you need to fight darkness and evil, not my spouse. Okay? Go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. And Genesis chapter 1 shows, shows us the blessing that God wants to put upon our home. 
and it also shows us how when she sins and he blames her, or when the kid sins or gets favoritism and there's jealousy and now there's accusation and then there becomes anger and fighting and murder and rage, how that could fester and grow and bubble up in a home. And we don't want that picture. We want to restore the goodness. We want to restore the kindness. We want to restore the blessing upon the home. And now, are there days where she aggravates me and I aggravate her? No. Right? About every 24 hours, right? And so, so I'm really like hard yesterday. to live with. I, I'm hard to live with. I'm a firstborn, strong, strong-headed, strong-willed. She's firstborn, sweet and beautiful. But sometimes she can be strong-headed and strong-willed. Okay, and so, so in this relationship right from the beginning, we both understood this was, go- this was not, this couldn't be a competition between us. It had to be out of our reverence and our submission to God. So let me challenge you today to say a couple things. One, I, I just want to be pastoral for a second and say that I believe that few people really know what spiritual warfare and winning looks like. I do. I believe that it's my job as a pastor, it's my job as a father to teach that, to demonstrate that, and to, but I don't believe we do it great, and I believe we need to open that conversation up, and in the next few months, through our marriage classes, and through other things that we're going to do here at Pikes Peak, where we start to educate and train, and come alongside you to help you grow, and flex that spiritual muscle, and become a mighty prayer warrior, and a mighty warrior over the spiritual darkness that's trying to ruin and attack your home. Okay, so we want to help you with that and and admit that we're not that great at it. And then second is I want to challenge you today with point number two to stop attacking your spouse. Stop it. Stop being offended. Stop being defensive. Stop arguing. Now, the minute I say this, we're going to get in a fight on the car on the way home. Right. It's going to happen. Right. Our kids are given a yes. Yes. Yeah. In the front row. And so and it'll be about this sermon. Right. Well, you on point number three, you said that. And I was just like, I'm like, okay, now what? Yeah, you yeah. know your mom's going to listen to that. She's going to hear what you said. Yeah, exactly. It. You know, and so, and so what happens is we partner with the devil in making an accusation, because he's the accuser of the brethren. We partner with the devil in making spiritual attacks in the physical realm. The scriptures say your war is not against flesh and blood. Amen? So let's turn the, let's turn the corner on that and equip ourselves a little bit better. So point number three is the best gift. The best gift that I give to my spouse is the gift of a healthy me. So marriage ministry at PPCC is not going to just be for marrieds. It's going to be for those single people out there who hope to be married. Is anybody like that in here? Yeah, out there. Give a holler. Come, Come on, on. Get your hand up. Be proud. Come on. You hope to be married one Speak day. Up. Well, right. We're going right, to minister to you. over here, and there's a guy over there. <laughs> I want y'all to talk. I'm just trying. I'm helping. Yeah. We're going to look about the same age. <laughs> I'm just saying. We're going to minister to you a little bit this morning, too. And we're going to start with uh, talking about um, good health. You know, you, you cannot, you do not attract who you want. You attract who you are, and that actually continues to play out through marriage. Our kids have actually heard this part of the sermon quite a bit. Uh, Healthy attracts healthy. Broken attracts broken. In me and Billy's case, broken, redeemed, and growing in Christ 
attracted, broken, and redeemed, and growing in Christ. Ladies, if you're one of those ladies who says um, something like, I just have the habit of attracting the wrong type of man. Well, ladies, that should be a sign unto you. You cannot attract a different type of man until you have become a different type of person. And becoming a different person, becoming healthy, is more than just diet and exercise. And we're, we're really big components, I mean, big champions of diet and exercise. I think one of the best things you can do for your marriage is take yourself to the gym. That's true. Now, it's on, you didn't say amen. It's only January 3rd, people. I mean, you know, come on. You've already given up? Yeah, come on. <clears throat> Two days. But, but good health doesn't start there. Good health actually starts deep within the core of our being. It starts with the realization that I was actually messed up and broken from birth. I grew up in a pastor's home, and a, a lot of times we like to say things like, oh, I was saved from birth. I've been in church my whole life, and, you know, I've just, I've known Jesus my whole life. No, no, that's not true. I, I was not saved from birth, and neither were you. I was an enemy of God, and so were you. We were broken and messed up from birth. And Genesis 6 is the story of Noah's Ark. You know that story? The story of Noah's Ark? The gladiator. Gladiator, yes. Right, um, yep. Uh, These people don't go to the movies. Or not bad, at least not bad ones. They just yeah, don't go to bad, bad ones. Bad Bible movies. Yes. Um, but in that story, right before the moment where God gets ready to put just one family in the boat and shut the door, and then he annihilates every child, woman, and man on the planet, he looks down and he says, every inclination of the human heart and their thoughts are bent towards evil. In the New Testament, it says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. And good health actually starts in the moment where I come to Christ and I say, even if that bad spouse, that bully, those awful parents, that stranger who hurt me so deeply and messed me up had not existed, I confess before you that I would still be broken. I have the ability within me to be broken and off track and fight for my right to go the wrong direction all by myself. And when I offer to the Lord the truth of who I actually am, the miracle is that God comes in and he says, Shanna, I'm going to take out that old self, the old you, and I'm going to replace it with my spirit. And now you can be right-hearted, not because you've done something to be right-hearted, but because now I see you through the rightness, the righteousness of Jesus. That's when we become right-hearted. And when we have core health and we continue to walk that out, then we're able to do what the Bible says, grow in wisdom. And we can begin to apply wisdom and get healthier in other areas of our life. Um, I want you to write down 2 Corinthians 5.17. I, I hate where we kind of rushed one another, and I hate to skip the part that actually is the Bible, but you're going to go home and you're going to read that. So um, I remember the time years ago where you and I said we were so sick 
of being right-hearted and stupid-headed. Now, we're from the South. Stupid's not a cuss word. I'm sorry if you're teaching your kids that stupid and shut up are a cuss word. They're not in the South. That's true. So we were tired of being stupid-headed, and we began to seek wisdom in what we classified as the major areas of our life. And we chose something as a major area based on how much pain it caused us. If the dishes in my kitchen cabinet get all disorganized and start falling out, it actually causes me zero pain. I will go right in there and throw them all in the trash. Problem solved. That's not a major area so of my life. You did over the holidays. I did. I just did it the, uh, yesterday. Uh, but if my finances are in disarray, such that I cannot pay the light bill, uh, I cannot pay for my car insurance, back to school for five kids is here again and I cannot afford it, we have an emergency, we need tires for our car, then all of a sudden I can't sleep, I'm worried, we're arguing, that stress is carrying over into my parenting, thus, that is a major area of life. So this is the list that me and Billy uh gave as our our major areas in life we're going to be talking about these areas through the course of 2016 um but you go home you think about about yours your list is going to look different than ours we want to be spiritually alive we want to be physically strong for the tasks that god has for us we want our finances to be in order because we want to be sowers into God's kingdom. That means we learn more about finances than tithing and saving. We go on to learn about investing. Um, we want to be professionally adept. We want to be good at our jobs. We want to have a good marriage, a fun marriage with a balance between serious and good play. We want to be good at being parents, and me and Billy added on to uh, our list the enjoyment of life, because as you see, we have the tendency to be drop-dead serious just about all of the time. So about five years ago, that caused us some pain, and we decided that we wanted to uh, slow down a little bit and go to the movies together and go hiking together, and so we moved that up in our priority list. And the, again, we're going to talk about those things throughout the course of this year, but really the point is, is that um, until you have core health, until you've allowed Christ to come in and give you a right heart, trying to grow in wisdom in these things is a waste of your time because you're going to get to the end of it all and it's not going to have mattered. Amen. And, and that doesn't apply for pr before you become into a relationship. That definitely applies after. So every day giving your spouse a new person, every day giving your spouse a new you, a growing you, and encouraging you. Sometimes the, most, the best thing that I can do for Shanna is to demonstrate to her that I'm going to go away and take care of myself. And sometimes the best thing that she can do for me is to go away and take care of herself. If I know she's going to the gym on a regular basis and that makes her feel whole and healthy and helps her process life and she comes back restored with a different perspective, able to hear and have some wisdom, then that's, how, that's better for me. I may miss out on the physical time of being with her and our schedules may pass each other, but quality time doesn't make you a powerful couple. Quality, being a quality person and coming together makes you a powerful couple. And so you've got to look down this list, supposedly, and really, and really say, hey, how are we doing? I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, based on the Bible's version of health, what, how am I doing? So that leads me to the next one and sort of the last point here. In, our, in your bulletin at the bottom, there's a quote. 
Look at that quote really quick if you have that. And it says, your story of marriage is about more than you. It really is. It's about every life that you and your spouse will touch during your lifetime. And it reaches into your legacy for generations to come. So the Ramsdale name needs to mean something when my grandparents, I mean, when, when my grandchildren have passed away. The Ramsdale name needs to mean more than, than me and more than, even if I'm awesome, and I'm not, but even if I was to achieve awesome, whatever version of worldly awesome exists, even if I was to achieve that, it's short-lived. The Bible says my life is like a vapor. And so what I want is for the godly characteristics that sustain us over time to outlive me, to outlive my children and outlive, my, outlive their children and, and understand that what, what happens in my life today will impact other couples and other families and other individuals and for generations to come. And so that's, that's the goal here and that's what I'd like. That's the biblical precedence. So the last, the last point is the, the real path to happiness. That's your, that's your blank on number four. The real path of happiness. And we go back to the scripture in chapter 5, verse 21, and we're going to use the version, the amplified version, which talks about submit to one another, but it uses the word subject yourself to one another. And what I want to propose is this. I want to propose that it doesn't really matter how great individually you are. And whether you're single, single again, in a blended family, this is second, third marriage, whether or not you're living together, whether or not you're widow, widower, whether or not you're single, it really doesn't matter. The concept is exactly the same in every scenario. And that is this. The home, the marriage relationship in the home, and, and loving and subjecting yourself to another human. After I subject, subject myself to God the way that Shanna has taught about, I, my pathway to joy and to happiness and fulfillment is submitting myself to the humans around me. If, and if you're married, starting with your spouse, start then with your children. But saying that my pathway to happiness isn't my career. It isn't cooler rims on my car. It isn't the next gun I'm going to buy. It isn't going to the spa. It isn't investing into whatever I want to invest in to get my education and puff myself up. Self up. Those things definitely help. There's no doubt about it. But we individually pursue happiness so aggressively that it cost us our homes. And God birthed me into a relationship with a wife, period. In Genesis, and if you try to go back in Genesis and find another institution by which God built the world, it doesn't exist. Your home and my home was God's plan A from the beginning, and it's the only plan. So your happiness, your joy, your fulfillment, not in a way that the movies say, she completes me, he completes me. We're not talking about that. We're talking about him being submitted to God, her being submitted to God, together them coming home and submitting to each other. And in the practical areas of life, I have to defer to my wife as I submit to her, subject myself. What do you need from me? Oh, I don't want to do it that way. That's okay. I'm going to do it anyway. Why do you do it that way? For one reason only, because she needs me to do it that way. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Every selfish bone in my body doesn't go, doesn't, that, that's not how I roll. It's not how she he rolls. He likes his pants hung up in a very particular yeah, way. Yeah, right. And I like to throw my clothes on the floor in the closet. Now we're meddling. Mm-hmm. Now we're meddling. <laughs> so how many of you, though, have gotten, how many of you gotten in an argument about whether or not the cups go in the cabinet right side up or upside down? About, right? 
whether or not the toilet paper rolls in or rolls out. Right? Because in that moment, you just want to scream while you're sitting on the commode. You want to scream, hey, who changed the toilet paper? Get in here and fix it. Right? And so, and there's a thousand of those issues. Why did she spend that money without asking? Without talking to me first. Why did he spend that money? Because girl, women will go spend $30 on this. Guys will go spend $3,000. Right? Um, honey, where'd you get the truck? What was on sale? At Walmart? Because that's where I buy a blouse that's on sale. And then you buy a truck that's on sale, okay? So we, and those things fester, man, and they turn into things that cause separation. And so we need to understand that my submitting, so in 2016, for instance, we have some family things that we're talking about achieving, okay? And some of them have nothing to do with Billy. Some of them are going to cost Billy time, energy, and money for one reason and only, to help Shanna be successful. Some of the goals... Her sitting up here today for the first time. This is the first time we've ever done this together like this. And her sitting up here today is her saying, hey, I'm not sure I love, you know, people all the time. And so um, humans. Did y'all know that first service starts at 755 in the morning? Yeah. Yeah. Who decided that? Right. And so 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 all of that came came into being about me saying, hey, let's do this marriage thing and let's do this. And and she is saying, I'll subject myself to this because Billy feels like, and then it fostered into a good idea, and we added to it, and once we decide this is a thing, right, that we're both going to be committed to, God blesses that. And so the point of, the last point is to say this, probably your greatest joy in life lies in your submission to your spouse, and you don't even know it yet. And you fight against it with every fiber of your being. You fight against it. You do. I do. We fight against saying no to ourselves and saying yes to them. And, you know, we get in the car sometimes and we'll say, because we're trying to be hyper-spiritual, so we get in the car and we try to say, hey, where do you want to go to eat? I don't know where you want to go to eat. Well, we'll just go wherever you want to eat. No, let's go wherever you want to eat. So, and, then, and then the kids speak up, well, if y'all aren't going to decide, we want to go to Red Robin. Yeah. We want to go to Chuck E. Cheese. We want to. And we're like, no, y'all don't get a vote, okay? Y'all just sit back there and be quiet. And so. When so, you got five kids, if you open the floor to voting. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. So. So what happens is we pass every good restaurant, right? Now we're past every good restaurant. And then I finally decide, okay, great, we're going to go to Red Lobster. Well, I don't really want to go to Red Lobster. You said make the decision. <laughs> now I made the decision. You don't, I don't want seafood. Well, you didn't say you don't want seafood. So now we're in a fight about that, right? So, so you got to be careful because the little things in life may not, be the, may not be the thing. It may be the big things. It may be the, it may be the thing that she wants completely, I want to adopt a kid. Well, I'm never adopting a kid. Is she hearing the heart of God, or is she trying to be an axe murderer? I I knew I was hearing God on that. Right. I think what she's saying is, my heart is saying this, and at that point, guys, or if it's flip-flops, you have a challenge to submit to God by submitting to your spouse and at least opening the door up for the fact that the Holy Spirit might be moving through her or might be moving through him and not consulting with you. And so this is not asking for decision-making through democracy. This is asking for unity through coming together, submitting to God together, respecting your submission to each other, and coming to a place where you're hearing the Holy Spirit together. But it may start with her, it may start with him, it may not start with both. Does that make sense? 
And so, so that's, that's how I'm going to pursue. So I've said, I've said no to career paths. I've said no to things. She said no to things before just because it wasn't something that was in sync with me or, or me wasn't in sync with her. And we have to trust God that at that moment I'm not missing out on something. What I'm actually doing is capitalizing on the greatest gift that's, uh, that God's given me, which is processing life with my spouse. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.